History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen, Let's Roll, with Kathleen and Brian Milanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian are here to discuss current events from a biblical worldview and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. Hello, Biblical Citizens. So last week we discussed educational choice, school choice for California families and the state proposition coming up that can give families a real choice for their children's education regardless of their financial status. You know, one of the reasons, though, that we often have to resort to this uh, route of state propositions, which you got to collect hundreds of thousands of signatures, and you got to then, of course, you got to get it passed, is because we have a one-party, supermajority state legislature that, unfortunately, rarely listens to the citizens and is really captive, I think, more than ever to special interests like teachers' unions. So when we talk about root causes, we need better state legislators. And today we're happy to interview the Republican-endorsed candidate for the 76th Assembly District, where we can really, we really have an opportunity to pick up this seat. So the 76th District, it covers Oceanside, Carlsbad, Encinitas, Vista, and Camp Pendleton. And it really affects all of us, whether we live in the district or not. Our guest today is Dr. Melanie Burkholder. She's a decorated former Secret Service agent, mental health counselor. She has a Ph.D. in Christian counseling, and she refers to herself as a proud wife and mother. She's a champion for public safety. She believes that parents have the right and duty to get involved when their children's well-being is at risk. And Melanie, I understand, first got involved in local government as a leader to fight the, to ban I should say, the use of toxic pesticides on school fields, and she won. So, Melanie, welcome to our show. Brian and Kathleen, thank you so much for having me. That was a very generous introduction, and I certainly appreciate the uh, the fact that you're having me on the show today. So thank you. Well, that's great. So I'm going to start talking about kind of a continuation from our show last week about school choice. So, I noticed you say on your website and you have four basic issues that you talk about, which I think is great. It's good for communication. So one of your basic issues is providing equal opportunity through education. So we haven't really talked to you about this school choice proposition, but doesn't it seem like giving every uh, student uh, educational credit, regardless of their income level, would really help promoting equal opportunity? Yeah. Well, uh, really, Brian, if we haven't learned anything during a pandemic um, as parents and how important it is to stand in the gap for our children and to be advocates for our children, I don't know if you know, but I was actually part of the lawsuit that sued the state of California to reopen our schools in Carlsbad. We, uh, We became very keenly aware that the district in the California Department of Public Health was not following science to keep the children out of the classroom. 
And it was disproportionately, as you can imagine, affecting uh, the lower income students, the students that did not have access to high speed internet, the students that did not have parents that were with them at home that could help them through their lesson plans. And it is not fair. And the California Constitution actually states that they are to provide in-person instruction to the greatest extent possible. And what's good about that is that we um, ended up winning the lawsuit in the state of California, which then opened the door for many other school districts to get their kids back in school. So that's just a piece on what I call government-run education, where my children are in a public school. But to your point of school choice, it's the same thought process. It disproportionately affects those folks who may need uh, an alternative way of learning. I'm a mental health therapist, as you said in your introduction, and I'm aware that not all children learn the same way. I'm in a family of teachers. My, both of my sister-in-laws are teachers, and uh, you know we, we are aware that children learn differently, and, and one size does not fit all. So that's why it's very important. And I don't know if your listeners are aware, but the California legislature actually wanted to cut the uh, school choice initiative funding by, um, I think it was 30%. Right. So essentially, each student would be given only 70% of the funding to uh, ex- exercise their ability to have school choice and freedom in, in school choice. So I think it's so important that we recognize that not every student can go to a private school, maybe too expensive. Not every student can learn and thrive in a public school or a government-run school. It may not be a good fit for them. So. School choice is not going away, and that's a great reason to send me to Sacramento because I will fight for those parents that are feeling like they're being attacked. And I know so many. You would not believe the numbers of people that just pulled their students from the government-run schools during the pandemic because they said to themselves, this is not working for my child. We can't do this distance learning. They're failing. They're not thriving. And so they, they wanted an alternative, and, and I think that is just really important moving forward. And I think <clears> – <throat> Uh, we learned last week that 10% of parents have, have just removed their children from the public schools, which an, is... An additional 10%, right, right. Yeah, and that's a good move, actually, because, as you say, children can't learn by them uh, all the same way. And so we need school choice. We need the school initiative. And we also need medical choice. And that's one of my big passions. And the schools are requiring children to still wear masks and they are not removing it, that policy for this fall, which it just makes no sense. There's no chance of children getting COVID. Uh, It's almost zero. And so why are they doing this? This one size fits all uh, policy. They just love that to do that to everyone. You know, so how, what can we do to, uh, I mean, we got the school choice initiative, but can we get those masks off the kids? Yeah. um, You know, early on in the pandemic, I will tell you this. I started to realize the one consistent throughout it was the many inconsistencies. So for me, when they when they when they closed churches right before Easter, that was my first big red flag that, wait a minute, you're, you're stepping in between me and my ability to worship and be comforted by those parishioners that we go to church with. And, and you're closing the church. So I became aware of the Let Them Worship movement. I joined 
uh, those services on the different occasions. And I, I said, no, this is what it's about. God's going to lead us through a pandemic. He's going to get us to the other side of it. And we have to trust that, right? And then it became uh, open the school. So I was in uh, let them learn, like get them back into school. And then with uh, what you're talking about, let them, or uh, rather let them play with uh, youth sports. I'm the cheer coordinator for the Friday Night Lights flag football uh, league up in North County. I don't have any little girls, so it's my little girl fix. I'm a former, or I want to say a recovering cheerleader. <laughs> and um, so I was noticing, you know, my boys couldn't play flag football. My girls can't cheer. This doesn't make sense. It's an outdoor sport. And why are we presenting them? Because, you know, athletics is not just about physical uh, interactions. It's really about your camaraderie, your teamwork, your, uh, you know, your working and having fun, you know, yep. all the endorphins that you're building in your brain during, during that time. So let them play with a, a really big movement to be involved in. And I basically was a mental health consultant to that movement, just helping people understand that it's not just about physical activity. It helps your social, emotional well-being as well. And then to, to your point, let them breathe. So yes, you have to get breathe. the mask off the children and let them breathe. You know, there's a new study that came out that talks about the CO levels from these kids that are breathing into that mask um, all these hours of the day. And it's just, it's just devastating to what we're doing to the children, not only their physical aspect of it, but, you know, their social, emotional well-being. You know, children begin to interpret the world uh, as early in, as, you know, in, in infancy, toddlership, when they see their families, their facial expressions, right? Right. And, and we simply don't live in a culture where we cover our faces. That's just not our culture. So we're taking away an entire aspect of a child's life to interpret their own circumstances and situations by putting these coverings on them. And that is, in my mind's eye, you know, as a therapist, that's more detrimental. We're not going to see the overwhelming impact of that immediately. We're going to sense that, you know, in months to come and possibly years to come about this whole thing of, of wearing masks. And that, yeah, and the and fact is they're actually hurting children by doing that. Yeah, they're, they're hurting they're, them. It's not for their good. It's, they're, like you say, it's detrimental. No. And so I, I really admire mm-hmm. your initiative in take, taking this to the courts or, you know, fighting it, joining with the other parents, joining oh, with we, Let yeah, Them Breathe. And getting yeah. those schools open, and so we're going to have to do the same thing with parents. It, maybe they, maybe a lot more parents are going to have to pull their children out of school until the the officials finally yeah. get it. Uh, but yeah, and you I'm so have glad to. That you bring that up. I, I I just wanted to say this. So I think it's really important. MelanieForAssembly.com is where you can go to to learn a little bit more about my platform and things like that. But as a mom, you know, first and foremost, as an advocate for my children. I think that throughout this pandemic learning experience that we're having, if parents are awake, right? Kathleen, they're awake. They're, they've been activated, right? But then what do they do after yeah, that? Exactly. Uh, they need leadership. You said it in the beginning. They need leadership. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You're not always going to be right, but you've got to be a leader. And my opponent is nowhere to be found, nowhere to be found in this. And, and so it's, it's someone like myself that has walked alongside parents throughout this, trying to help them, give them resources. You know, one of the things that I heard was 
at the high school level, these kids need mental health counseling. They're not getting it. Many people don't understand that school counselors don't provide psychotherapy. That's not their role primarily. So I asked the district to check out a peer assistance leadership program, the PAL program, which has been successful in San Diego for over 20 years. You know, the district in Carlsbad did, and they got back to me and said, actually, Melanie, we're going to implement this program as a pilot right now. And in the fall, we're going to fully implement it. The school counselors love it. The students are responding to it. The teachers think it's great. And by the way, we're going to add a mental health therapist at both high schools in Carlsbad. And I said, hallelujah. Thank you so much. These kids need that help through this. You know, they've lost essentially a year of learning. They've got colleges to, to go to. They need you know, in sports and athletics, they needed coaches to be able to get film of them playing and, you know, engaging those scholarship possibilities. So there's just a whole big overwhelming uh, need for these parents that not only have just woken up to the corruption, I say, uh, through the California Teachers Union and what they're doing to, uh, to teachers, and then also do something about it. Go vote. Christians overwhelmingly need to vote. You know, you talk about being the salt and light. That's a primary duty. That's a a huge duty. We talk about that every week. Yep, we really admire the leadership you've taken on that. And we can can tell that you have a real real heart for both children and parents and their well-being. So we have to take a break now, but we are going to come back and talk with Melanie Burkholder running for office. Uh, here in 76th San Diego. District. Be right back. And we'll be right back. There is more Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Still to come on K-Praise. Welcome back to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Now, here are your hosts, Kathleen and Brian Melanakis on K-Praise. We are back with Melanie Burkholder, Republican candidate for State Assembly 76th District. So, Melanie, another one of your four planks has to do with crime and homelessness. I, I can't believe that. I mean, it's all over. It's all over the place. Violent crime is up in every city, big time, and so is shoplifting and property crimes. Which uh, now, I guess, according to the law, they're not felonies anymore. You either ticket them or you ignore them. So. What can we do about the rising crime and violence? That's got to be an important topic. It is, and I think probably most of your listeners are aware that Prop 47 and Prop 57 really need to be repealed in order for law enforcement to actually do the job that they signed up to do. Um, So essentially, in reference to what you were saying, Brian, you can go into a store now and steal anything under about $950 in value, and they don't even arrest you or prosecute you, for goodness sakes, but they definitely don't do that. And so we're creating an incentive for people to be thieves, first of all, but it's not uh, keeping the public safe as well as, you know, presenting a problem for those store owners who are, you know, absorbing inventory and and loss control that is out of control. And so what you have with that is, um, you know, a big pile of disaster waiting to happen. And then if you think about the homeless folks, you know, now our law in California says, Law enforcement can make contact with you, but they can't arrest you unless you have some place to go subsequent to the processing. So I'll give you a quick example. A friend of mine's son was on the train, got off in Carlsbad. It was when we had a really bad 
downpour, weather, torrential downpour. And I know the man that is uh, referenced in this story. He's a man that lives in a wheelchair and a homeless in Carlsbad. And he was contacted by this young man who said, I want to help you. What about where can I take you to get out of the rain, to get shelter? And he said he just wanted to go back under the overpass where, you know, all of his friends went to abandon him. And so the man said, no, I, I just want to go to the underpass. And the kid was like, well, I can't really do that. Well, they ended up being in front of a restaurant where the store owner called the police. Carlsbad police made contact with the guy. We'll call him Joe Smith. I don't know his real name. And he said, the officer said to Joe, Joe, we can take you in. You have an arrest warrant. We can arrest you, take you into the station, get you clothed, get you dry, get you a shower, get you some food, and you know, you'll be safe. And he said he did not want to go. So do you know the cops? They turned around and walked away. That's the situation we're living in in California. That is a public safety crisis. And just forget about that. It's inhumane. These are not just numbers that you count in a census. These are individuals that are suffering in one way, fashion, or form, whether it's mental illness, a drug addiction, or a comorbidity of both. So my approach to that is a little bit different than uh, Housing First Initiative or handing out money to those folks or putting them in a hotel room for two months. So I do have a plan um, to, to address the homelessness issue, which you're exactly right. In North County, we do have a growing number of homeless individuals. And what you, what you advocate is tough love programs that require mentally ill <clears throat> or drug addicted homeless to get help. Uh, you know, our daughter worked with the homeless for quite a, while, a, a long time, and she said there's two kinds of homeless. There's the chronically homeless that have the drug addictions and the mental health problems, and then there's the transiently homeless. So, mm-hmm. as you say, our government just giving incentives for people to live on the street maybe and and commit these crimes of shoplifting and so forth and uh other other incentives almost to 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 be homeless instead of getting help and doing something with their lives right well i really like i'm going to interject i really like the organization (laughs) and you're probably familiar with them melanie solutions for change it's a volunteer it's a I believe it is Christian-based. It's a voluntary organization. Mm -hmm. But when you go into their program as a homeless person, they require you to not be on drugs. They require you to actually get some training. And their success rate is way beyond anything I've seen in San Diego County. Mm Yeah, so Chris Megson is a former Marine, once a Marine, always a Marine. He's a wonderful person. I I know him personally and, in fact, worked with him in tailoring uh, some of my approach to the homelessness issue. If you think about it, government spending uh, gone wild is basically what has created this problem, and it's not addressing the problem. It's not creating any sort of solution. And so, yeah, Chris Magazine's program, Solutions for Change, can do the metrics that you're referencing because he said to the feds, I don't want your money. If you're going to tell me that someone can come into my program actively using, that doesn't make any sense because that is a cycle. And and Chris calls it the churn. You know, that's a cycle of homelessness, of joblessness, of addiction and recovery. And that's not going to help anyone in the long run, right? So that's why my plan includes matrix of our matrix to gauge the success or failure of the programs that we have. And and that's why his is so successful because, yes, they don't 
give you a home. You know, housing first, man, talk about a wasteful spending uh, initiative. They are giving people homes that most people I know couldn't afford. And, and it's our tax dollars doing it, right? So we, we have to rethink this. You know, I, I kind of think of it as I would like to assemble a multidisciplinary team. That Those sounds are people great. that come into contact yeah. with the homelessness, uh, the homeless individuals in any way, fashion, or form, psychiatrist, social worker, caseworker, therapist, uh, medical doctor, uh, law enforcement, caseworkers, uh, the whole gamut, right? So let's just think about these folks of where they are and meet them as individuals. And again, not as a number that you count in a census. So well, and your you training wanna... uh, it really applies to that, you know, with your counseling Absolutely. background and your... Yes, your mental Absolutely, health. Absolutely, yeah. And we don't want to get people in and continue people into this cycle. We want to get them out a hand up. You know, let's give them a hand up and not a hand out. Most people want to be productive members of society. Most people don't want to be homeless. Absolutely. There are those like Joe Smith that are into their addiction and that choose drugs over safety, comfort, security, productivity, you know, community and all of those things. But we, we can do a better job in, in California. And the problem, as I see it, is we have two choices. You can arrest someone, they can go to jail, or, um, and the, you know, it, or they can go to the hospital, right, if you have a 5150 case. But then the thing is, and then what? What do we do after that? Well, <laughs> we, and tied in, tied in with this whole program is the lack of affordable, I mean, with this whole problem, I mean, is the lack of affordable housing in California. Uh and it's only getting worse, whether for renters or buyers, you know, people that can afford to can't even find a, a place to live because the, the the shortage of housing is really getting to be just tremendous. Uh, there's a lack of supply and a bigger demand. So, And one of the problems we understand is that some large corporations and wealthy billionaires are contributing to this problem by buying up lots of lots of the residential properties in driving up the prices. And then there's, of course, the high cost of building caused by government in, in a lot of cases, right? right? So what, and, and, what do you yeah. think can be done about that? <laughs> and you can thank your California state legislature for that because they uh, consistently impose. So, for example, most cities have like a master plan, that, you know, build out of their of their cities, right? I think Carlsbad is a hundred and 30,000 or something like that. And, you know, that's where we basically said that's what we can, that's what we can take and what we can, you know, continue to provide public safety for with fire and law enforcement. Um, but then, then California and Sacramento in their infinite wisdom and that Democrat majority we have to deal with imposes new building restrictions on each city, right? So if you have a development that's going in of 100 homes, there's a percentage of those that either have to be low-income housing or affordable housing, whatever term you want to use there. It's all the same according to a builder. They have to build the same quality house but cut the rate, cut the price of it, because uh, that's what the state legislature decides to do. Or they could put it potentially at another site, right? But they have to absorb that cost into everything they build. Well, mm. in California, what we have now is everyone leaving the state. So we are going to have a, a high inventory eventually. The problem is, Kathleen, those homes that people are leaving, like the one across the street from me that sold for 1.3 or something crazy like that, 
that's not an affordable house for someone that's coming in that's working, making a fair wage, but working a job like maybe at, at Target or, you know, at, at services industry, whatever, at, those aren't affordable still. So we have to get this building under control and these impact fees that the developers have to pay. I mean, they're going to make Melanie, their money we need you in the, the I, I have concluded without <laughs> a shadow of a doubt, we need you in the state legislature. We've come to the end of our Kathleen has a little announcement after this, but we've come to our Well, that was so fast. Great. Yeah, <laughs> it goes by fast. so fast, Melanie. We are absolutely going to have to have you on again, but Thanks so much for being our guest today. At the end there, at the very end, we're going to tell you. a lot of good ideas. MelanieForAssembly.com. We'll repeat that again at the end. But thanks so much, Melanie. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for doing what you do. Uh, And just everyone that is listening, please pray for this uh, election to be successful for you guys, for all of us. Yes, absolutely. And And we pray for you and all the other legislators all the time. So I just want to thank you again. I do have a short announcement, and that is I've been getting a lot of requests from people about their employers and their school officials requiring or, quote, unquote, or pressuring them into getting the COVID-19 injection. And that's illegal for them to do that. If you need help, you can download some forms from Solari.com, and you you can actually... Write an email to me, too, at biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. I will help you with that because they really can't do that. It's illegal for them to try to pressure you or require you at the cost of your job or being able to go to school to have an experimental dangerous injection. So uh, I just want to get that across. Regardless of your view on the the vaccine, it's not legal to be forced to do a medical medical procedure. So to bless your neighbor this week, go to MelanieForAssembly.com. We've we've heard what a a caring person and what a competent person she is. Uh, This could change our whole legislature if we don't have a supermajority. Consider making a donation, doing some phone baking or texting or other ways to put Melanie in Sacramento. California can be a great place again for families and for Christians and everybody. Till next week. Thanks for joining us for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Join us next week at this same time as Kathleen Melanakis, author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian Melanakis, former company president, explore the deeper issues and spiritual forces behind the news and how we as believers can be salt and light in our culture and in the political arena. Biblical Citizen Let's Roll seeks to educate and activate Christians at the grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility Responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover more major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. To learn more about the show, how to become a guest or sponsor, send an email to biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. That's biblicalcitizen at gmail.com. This has been Biblical Citizen. Let's roll on K Praise.